Hello and welcome into another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast. We have a packed show for you today in our What's Poppin' edition. We're going to get you caught up on the latest and greatest in movie and TV news, including hot off the presses, something that smells a little rotten over at Rotten Tomatoes, Kirk. Plus, an update on the WGA and SAG after ongoing strike we are now almost four months into it so we got to get caught up get the lay of the land get everybody up to date on what's happening there and what's going to happen next and then we'll do a little crosstalk at the end to get caught up on anything else that happened any new trailers that caught our eyes anything from the venice film festival that caught our eyes there's lots going on we're excited you're here let's get into it Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast. We are absolutely thrilled that you're here. We are thrilled to be here with you after another week and a half of scheduling weirdness. This this happens from time to time because we are part-time podcasters, if that. It's a side hustle. It's mm-hmm. not our full-time gig yet. Also, in an insanely weird turn of events, both of our wives are ultra pregnant right now (laughs) i think is the best way to describe that um so kirk and i are both um expecting our third child both expecting children in the very very near future that's right we will we will be each a family of five that's right in a very short period of time i think in like maybe a week and a half to two weeks for you Yep. Three to four weeks for me. It's insane. Going from man to man to from man to man defense to a zone. That's to right. a to a zone feel. And uh, I haven't played zone in a while. I'm I'm a little nervous about that, but it'll be good. It'll be good. We're or the countdown is on. It's yeah. very close. And uh so yeah, thank you for bearing with us as we as we kind of work through the the scheduling. Yeah, you uh, might even see the babies here because uh, uh, there's no way that listen, they'll be able to there's sleep. There's no rest for the wicked. And and sometimes, you know, like we do these podcasts late at night and uh, newborns are awake. That's right. You know, and, and even if they're not, it, they'd be great podcast companion. Oh, yeah. We'll be nice and warm and they'll just be sitting here. We'll put their little pacifier in. Yeah, uh, easy. We'll, we'll review the latest episode of Coco Melon. It'll be great. <laughs> It'll be fantastic. It'll be fantastic. So... Probably more scheduling mayhem to come, but we're glad to be here tonight because, uh, and I say tonight, it's tonight when we're recording, but whenever you're listening to it, we're glad to be here with you to talk about everything that's going on because the industry has lost its mind. Is that like, is that safe to say? I, 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 it's such a weird time. Like, and and this is, we've gone through COVID and that, you (laughs) know, like that was weird. But here we are now. We've got writers and actors striking for months. I mean, the the actors are newer onto the scene, but I mean, I view it all as like one big thing. And I think you just said 
before we came on air. Like it's been almost like four months. Yeah, we're at 113 days uh, since the strike began. That's just the writer's strike. I think the actors are right behind them at 70 something plus days. Yeah, yeah. And but specifically the writer's strike, which kicked off all of this this uh, this fight for the rights and the unionization that was already in place, but to really make things fairer, to close the gap, to spread the wealth, the massive wealth of the studios and into the hands of the people that create your favorite stories. Yeah. I just can't believe that we're this far gone as we just did this 10 years ago and now we're here again. I know. And and and, and these things will happen because as the industry changes, there become things that were not regulated. Yes. That need to be regulated. And so it's kind of a natural byproduct of technology and the advancement of the industry and things like that. But it sucks. It sucks that we're here yeah. and that we're dealing with it. And it sucks like how little has really happened. So we'll get into the strikes um, because the question I get most often, you're, you're probably in the same boat. Like people know that I'm a movie guy and they're like, what can you talk, talk to me about these strikes? Like, what is happening? So I've given the spiel yep. many times. And the reality is really not very much has happened. But there have been a few updates over the couple, last couple of weeks that we'll get into yep. in a bit. But first, Kirk, hot off the presses today. <laughs> and this is one of those that just falls in your lap and you, you do the, you know, oh boy. Ooh, do that closer to the mic. Yeah, do a little. Oh. Little little swishing of the hands together. Do you because, moisturize? That was a very nice. Mine sounds I know, like I, sandpaper. <laughs> if I do it, I, I noticed that. I was like, "Ooh, my skin is feeling very like it's feeling good." For comparison, here's mine. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk is like rubbing sheet metal together. Um, hot off the presses today. A piece from Vulture, which of all places I love. It always comes from one of these, right? Uh, <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes. And the, and, the, and the piece is called The Decomposition of Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. And in a shocking turn of events, that's not even slightly shocking, <laughs> at least in my opinion. Uh, people have been gaming the system with Rotten Tomatoes. They've been, they've been gaming it. Uh, critics have been receiving payout, payouts for good treatment. And even it goes as far as to not just being the individual critics themselves, but also rotten tomatoes there are pr companies out there specifically the one that's named in this article which is bunker 15 and they claim they can influence how rotten tomatoes if it if it labels a particular review rotten or fresh not like a a single individual review and i say that it's not surprising at all because here's here's the thing we have talked about at length on this podcast kirk that Rotten Tomatoes is responsible for an enormous amount of money in the in the film industry. Yes. Their thumbs up, thumbs down, gladiator style is life or death for your movie. Yeah. Facts. And that's and we're talking about a multi billion dollar industry. And so for some movies, that's hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue that a simple couple percentage points one way or the other can dictate. And so the reason it's not surprising is show me a system where there's a ton of money involved and a bunch of individual contributors, and I'll show you people who are willing to take payouts. Yes, every Facts. time. Every single time. I also loved, I didn't know this, uh, in this article they, they lay out that Rotten Tomatoes was originally created to categorize uh, and rate Jackie Chan movies by the creators. <laughs> Dude, yes. 
<laughs> which I love. Let's that. go back. Take me back. That's that's pure. Delete every other review that's ever been aggregated by the populace, and I just want to see the Jackie Chan reviews. Yeah, I I remember my first experience with Rotten Tomatoes, where my cousin was like, you know, this was like dawn of the internet type stuff. At least it was felt like for me. It was mm-hmm. like. I don't know. It must have been like 2003, 2004. My cousin being like, look at this website. Like they aggregate reviews Mm -hmm. and they'll tell you like Batman Returns is actually a good movie. And I'm like, well, that's subjective. But, you know, they're, they're gathering people's opinions. I thought that's so cool. Fast forward to now where Rotten Tomatoes literally decides how a movie will perform in the box office. Yes. It's, it's not a, it's, that's not, uh, hyperbole it's not an exaggeration that is the reality people go on that site when a movie comes out or even before a movie comes out when the embargo is lifted they go am i seeing this movie this weekend oh it got bombed i'm out right it's that easy they're not going to waste their money in right. a t- in a time and in history where there is not enough money in our pockets as citizens consumers you're going to make sure that what you're seeing, the entertainment that you've chosen, is going to be a good time. Yeah. So you see that score, you're like, absolutely not. I remember going to uh, uh, Jurassic World 2, and Incredibles 2 was also coming out the same weekend. I didn't get a chance to check the Rotten Tomatoes score, but I asked the the people there, the workers, I said, which one? They said, don't you dare go into this theater and see Jurassic World 2. (laughs) Here's your ticket for Incredibles. Enjoy your time. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's absolutely absolutely very uh, necessary that these stories be created with thoughts and not just... AI and that these stories are are critically reviewed in a, in a different way without corruption and thoughtfully so distributing to all the consumers. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's it sucks to see because like now people think that, you know, people are going to think that every single Rotten Tomatoes critic who is, you know, part of a small publication or an independent publication is bought and sold mm-hmm. by somebody. And in a way, you know, like in the inner circles of like film Twitter and things like that, that's long been assumed that there's, you know, PR happening here. Um, But there's a lot of really good, honest people who do this. Somebody that we know very well in the industry, uh, Lynn Venhouse, who who does a fantastic job. Um, She's the best, is a Rotten Tomatoes contributor. And she worked extremely hard to get that distinction and has a ton of integrity. And so now that's, you know, that's, that's Sully's the name of people like her. And that sucks to see. And I think that it's it's just like, it's the human condition, man. Like, Rotten Tomatoes on paper is a fantastic idea. Yes. Aggregating scores and just saying like, hey, in general, people like this movie or, or people don't. Or critics like this movie or critics don't. That's great. But like everything, as humans, we take it too far. Mm. And then all of a sudden, Rotten Tomatoes becomes like the judge, jury, executioner on movies and because it has so much power of course it's going to get tainted anywhere that there's that much money it's going to be rigged like i'm a huge professional sports fan and uh i have to like throw my tinfoil cap away because if i let my mind go far enough i'm like there's just too much money here for it not to be rigged (laughs) you know between like the sports betting and all the stuff like there's just patriots won again (laughs) exactly there's like there's too much money involved for this not to be some level of rigged and this is very much the same thing is like these studios of course are going to do whatever they can to ensure a good score and i think 
we we've seen this to to a lesser degree. Like you see um, these these marketing agencies that work with the big studios to get screeners in front of critics. Like we've been to some of these showings. That's right. Um, and they they uh, show you a nice night. It's, it's free free movie. They give you you know the, sometimes the sometimes the concessions are free. They're swag. They're throwing stuff out. They're you know they're shaking your hand on the way in. Hey, how's it going? They want to show you a good time. That's right. While you're watching the movie, of course they you know they say you know give your review and it is what it is. But that in, that can influence people. If you go like like it's it's like anything. You go to the theater and there's a bunch of people laughing and carrying on and being loud and whatever like that influences how you view the movie your viewing experience matters so if a, if a marketing company comes in or a pr company comes in and they show you a nice time and they give you lots of hospitality they put some swag in your pocket and you're feeling good that influences you yeah even so, if the movie is garbage yeah you're gonna give it a better score because you, you might. enjoyed the experience right you might so it's a there's gray areas going on here but what it what it talks about in this article that is absolutely wrong is like PR companies paying individual contributors with an understanding, like mafia style. <laughs> I'm not saying it's got to be a good review, but you know, like do the thing. Hey, you scratch my back, I'll <laughs> I scratch, scratch yours. Exactly, exactly. And then at the same time, th- what makes it even more sinister is this quote right here um, that talks about where is it. Uh, Give me a keyword. I'll find hold it. Hold on, hold on. I lost it. Bunker fifteen. The um, PR company. The part where it says the that the bunker fifteen felt like they could get Rotten Tomatoes to change the the review. I don't know where that part is, but basically, there's a quote in there that's like, "We know the people at Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. We we know the editors and." If if there's a review that's gray enough, we can say, give that one a tomato. And, and I've seen this, Kirk. Like, I've seen where you go on Rotten Tomatoes, if you go through it. So the way Rotten Tomatoes works, I don't feel like everybody understands this, is that if a movie has a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, that means 95 of the reviews that were received mm-hmm. were deemed positive by Rotten Tomatoes. It does not mean that the average score of those reviews is 95%. So if a movie, like let's say it's a five-star scale and three stars is like three stars is, uh, you know, considered good. Mm -hmm. It could have 95% three-star reviews. And so it's a bunch of critics saying, this is a okay, good-ish movie, Mm -hmm. but on Rotten Tomatoes, it would be a 95. Now that's not usually how that happens because usually like the, you know, it'll, it'll kind of, tip one way or the other, but there are instances where a movie is just kind of like objectively good ish. Yes. And it ends up getting a high score. We see this with animated movies a lot for yeah. sure, because people are like, eh, it's a kid's movie. Like how bad could it really be? And so they tend to be a little bit more light on it. And so you see animated scores go up, even though the movie's kind of like mediocre. Um, and so that distinction of, is this positive or is it rotten is, important and sometimes like if the scale is like four stars yes they'll be like two stars equals positive and i'm like i don't know about that and you read the review and you're like like i thought that was positive yeah like if you dig into it you can see ones that are like very 
weird. Yeah, yeah. So like, it's like Veruca Salt, the bad egg, it, but instead, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a tomato. And you take those tomatoes. It's a it's a binary yes or no. You take the tomatoes. You divide those by the total number of reviews, even though you're tossing out the bad tomatoes, and that is where you get the percentage. And with that. It's very it's very vague because you could be somewhere sitting around a uh, maybe maybe you've watched a movie that you would say that's a fifty yeah. percent but I would watch that movie again for X Y and Z because it's culty to watch it was endearing but bad it was a very good bad movie you know there's that's always the gray area so that's where the algorithm and the setup doesn't work for it because it's so specific absolutely now here's my question for you Kirk because. It, you know, on the surface, we're we're dogging Rotten Tomatoes because there's some shady stuff going on. It's one thing if it's the individual critics. It's another thing when it crosses the line yeah. and Rotten Tomatoes is in on it. That's the part that really got me. The individual critics, like, it's the same with, like, the Oscars for your consideration. Everybody's getting bribed. Everybody, it's just, it's kind of a crooked system, and I think we've all always known that. Right. But when it comes to the point of, like, PR companies influencing Rotten Tomatoes to distinguish, that's where it gets kind of pretty yucky mm-hmm. I think in general but I have to ask you this obviously we both use Rotten Tomatoes we've used it for a long time if you're if you're a fan of film even if you're not you obviously you know it and you've used it yeah uh, no question do you think it has had a net negative or net positive effect on film mm-hmm. in general what a wonderful like, thoughtful question as a, as a hobby and as a industry oh gosh you know, I haven't come across, I will say a net positive, because I haven't come across too many films where I, I thought, wow, they really missed the mark there. Mm. I've certainly come across those where I've said, no, 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 the audience score is correct, um, or the critics were too harsh because of how the algorithm is set up. Yeah. So I think it's a net positive, though, ultimately. See, like more recently, I lean net negative. Okay. And here's why. Because I feel like, in a lot of instances, it has stolen money from movies that could have gotten those dollars, mm. for better or worse. And you would say, like, well, that's, you know, that's that's just the way it is. That's just how the new, you know, that's that's how it all shakes out. That's how the cookie crumbles. Like, sure. make a good movie and you won't have to worry about it. Right. And that's fair. But the other thing I would say is that Rotten Tomatoes, in, like, in the film community of like people who love film and like cinephiles, people who watch movies, Rotten Tomatoes has been used as a weapon so much Mm. where people go like, well, this movie is good. And it's like, well, to that person, it's not, you know? And I think (laughs) I, I see it. I see it weaponized a lot where people are like, Oh, you like interstellar? Well, it's like one of Chris Nolan's lowest rated films on Rotten Tomatoes mm-hmm. or, or, you know, it just, some people have such a, like a brash confidence because of it gotcha. because they're like, I know that I'm right. And it's like, well, you're not right. You, you agree with the consensus and that's cool. Like if that's your, if that's your genuine opinion, fantastic. Couldn't be happier for you. But I think a lot of people will cling to that and, yeah. and and not form a genuine honest opinion because they're like, I don't want to be wrong. And right. there is a wrong answer. Because it's not it's not like sports where they have a statistic that they they accomplished this goal. They threw this many passes. Yes. They got this many yards. Right. They got this many baskets. All of those things are very tangible and they happen. But with film, 
it's all subjective. It is, and it's it's highly personal in a lot of instances. Yes. Sure, there are plenty of objective elements of like, that was a poorly edited scene. Yes. The sound mixing on that is bad or whatever. There, there are certainly elements, and mm-hmm. some, some films because of that are objectively poorly made. But a lot of it is personal. A lot of it is subjective. And yeah. so I hope, my hope with this whole thing is that people start to just form their own opinions. Yes. And be like, you know what? The critics say this is great. I disagree. And you know what? Maybe half those critics are bought and sold by the by a PR company anyway, and maybe it's baloney. You know yeah. what's funny? As as we do this podcast, I get so much you and I like just scrounge. We we follow all, all the different news outlets to get all the information, yeah. all the different celebrities, all the talk shows. We get all of the information right away at our fingertips. And then we try to come here and, and tell our friends, our listeners. And even past that, maybe they miss an episode or whatnot. The people are are so in the dark about a lot of this stuff which is probably for the better <laughs> that they don't hear all the yeah, nitty-gritty yeah. dark dirty details of hollywood that we do that we that we still try to overcome with but do we think that with this information with rotten tomatoes is there a chance for someone else to maybe this do, does get bigger notice and gets a bit a bigger net that, to cast to consumers do we see is there another rating aggregate like letterboxd could they f- officially rise to the surface and say this is the scale you follow now I love it. I would love for Letterboxd to rise because that's the voice of the people. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it, it, it's just of the people that have seen it and logged it on Letterboxd, here's the score. Mm-hmm. Here's the score. And that's what they say. And you have no idea what that's based on. You see ridiculous Letterboxd reviews and that's kind of why I like it. Whatever, what you can guarantee, hopefully, is that the vast majority of those are a personal like a person's actual opinion yes, on it and like an actual real person because I don't feel like there's a ton of like bots on Letterboxd or anything like that. Right. They've so, got something working in the background to fight that, I'm sure. I tend to I tend to look at those a lot in general. After I watch a movie, I'll go to the Letterboxd page when I log it and be like, what's the average score of this? Just to see like where I landed. And I always find it so fascinating. It is. So, yeah, I, it's not that I'm like down with Rotten Tomatoes, but, you know, in a way... Uh, I think there needs to be some change that comes of this. And I think it would be good if, yeah. if some change did come of it. And I hope that people just feel more confident in sharing their, their own opinion and feeling comfortable with their own opinion mm-hmm. in general. Yeah. Or will people run to the, the IMDB meta Metacritic score, the cinema score? <laughs> yeah. Like what, what is it going to be? Or will, will nothing change? I do feel like IMDB score has, I've, I've seen a lot more people cite it. Yeah. Recently. It's gotten better. Yeah. Because that's a that's a tough score. Mm-hmm. Like if I see something with a seven on 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 IMDb, I'm like, this slaps, or it's a, or it's a Zack Snyder movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the other distinct possibility with that. Um, so you gotta watch you gotta watch out for that one. From zero to Zack Snyder. Looking at you, Watchmen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna talk about the writer strikes next, but before that, I want to give a shout out to our uh, sponsor who brought this episode to you as always every episode of popcorn for breakfast is brought to you by st louis area smoothie kings so be sure to stop in and hang out with our friends at smoothie king they're the best Uh, just knock on the employee door just be like hey i heard from cam and kirk that we can hang (laughs) out we can just hang i don't have my my clean serve license but i would like to come in no don't actually hang out just like they you know like the the 660 carlisle avenue here in east Belleville, they have a walk-up window and they have a drive-through window yes so that's 
make sure there's glass in between you <laughs> and and the people uh, for for everyone's safety. But you got to go uh, check it out. Smoothie King is the absolute best. Whether you're looking for a treat or you're looking for a meal replacement, I think that's that's kind of the way to go. Meal replacement smoothie. It's you can't beat it because it's your meal in a cup. It's the most convenient way. If you're on the go, if you're working, uh, whether you work remotely or you work in an office, there is nothing better than just drinking your lunch. Yes. It's fantastic. And you can build all sorts of nutritious combinations at Smoothie King. My go-to is the Angel Food Slim Smoothie. Add kale, add peanut butter. I absolutely love it. Or sometimes I go for the spinach pineapple power meal smoothie mm-hmm. you've got to check it out um they've got a whole litany of pumpkin smoothies that are on the way oh for gosh. fall so i need to get the details on all of that i saw the ad for it and i was like well that's happening because you know you like a few of these days we've already had in mm-hmm. september uh, you know in the early goings here have that chill in the air they do like this and evening. it's like it's like yes please they also have a snickerdoodle smoothie that at is. smoothie king that is like very much fall vibes and unbelievably delicious. I know you're a huge snickerdoodle guy. It's like drinking a snickerdoodle it is. cookie in a cup. It's actually kind of bizarre, but in the, all the right ways. Yes. You're like, it's kind of like um, in, in Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory when they're eating the seven course meal gum and they're like, I can taste the whole, you know, that's like, it's, it's like, wow, this is like drinking a snickerdoodle. It's yes. insane. Uh, but you got to check them out. What, what, whatever your goals are, or if you're just like, I want a yummy, delicious smoothie. That's what's great about them. You can do any number of things. It's smoothies with a purpose, you know, whether you're trying to get well with some immunity blends or, or trim down with some slim blends or just enjoy a treat. There's plenty of amazing things you can do. Um, And we've got two great locations here on the East side of the Mississippi river at 660 Carlisle Avenue in East Belleville, Illinois, or 3401 Namioki road in Granite city. Be sure to stop by, start your smoothie King journey they're going to get you hooked up. They're going to be unbelievably friendly and kind and get you the best smoothie that you possibly can. If you have a question, everybody has a smoothie recommendation. That's they what do. I love too. ask them because you'll find some unbelievable blends that you would have never tried yourself just by asking people. That's the way to yeah. go. They're like mad scientists back there. They have so the, the downtime when they're not serving yeah. thousands of customers per day, uh-huh. they're just mixing and concocting with different kind of cups and cylinders. Oh, and they've stuff. got it. They've got it figured out. It's incredible. You, you can, if you ask them, you can guarantee that's a well thought out smoothie order. That's they've right. seen all the ingredients and they know where the money's at. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely go to smoothie King. That's smoothie King, nurturing passion, nourishing purpose. All right, Kirk, let's talk about these strikes. We're, we're, you know, in month four now of the strikes. And the most recent update comes from the AMPTP, which is the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. So these are the... Amped. These are the guys that are getting all the bad press. The David Zaslavs, the, the, the Bob Igers, the people who make $25 million a year and are like being misers to all the little writers and actors and, and things like that, that, you know, are not the big name celebrities, but are the people who are like working the day jobs like you and me. Um, they're the ones that uh, came to the WGA with a proposal, a counter proposal, if you will, because how this all started, you have to remember is that the WGA basically almost unanimously voted to authorize a strike 
Um, right. And some of their demands were relating to residuals and how the, the new streaming model doesn't allow for residuals in the same way that they were getting them before with the network and cable television model. So people who have streaming shows weren't getting payments for massively popular streaming shows. They also had concerns about um, related to residuals, the amount of viewership that these shows were getting. It was very, it still is very like hush, hush. Every streaming platform has its own metrics. They share what they want to share. You know, there's no regulation, whatever. They've also got concerns about writer's rooms. A lot of these studios were trying to trim down writer's rooms, make it so that even if it's a big giant show, like that's on every week, like a whatever, CSI, SVU, they wanted to trim down the number of writers that were in the room, uh, which obviously limited opportunities for people, even though the show had a huge cast and a ton of episodes and things like that. And then obviously the big one that everyone's heard about, AI. I don't know how to do it. You do YMCA. <laughs> I was going to say A and I in the YMCA are like the same thing. I, I think I this. <laughs> like my torso is the I, a base. Yeah. That's right. So the counter offer that the AMPTP <laughs> offered WGA was essentially that they addressed three of the concerns. Okay. One was they would bump residuals a little bit. So for example, on streaming video on demand, residuals if it was something that was a three exhibition year program it would go from a residual of seventy two thousand dollars to eighty seven thousand dollars so that's the kind of change that i'm talking about there's a lot of details into what that actually means if you want to read about it you can but basically what i'm trying to show you is that it's a fifteen thousand dollar bump okay. in residuals so a little bit of give not a ton uh the Data sharing, they agreed that they would share more data on a more regular basis that would be a little bit more standardized in terms of how much something is being watched. And then they also said that they would not allow um, it. The new proposal bans written material produced by generative AI to be considered literary material or source material um, such that a writer wouldn't get credited mm -hmm. as not the writer if they helped on a script that AI also partially wrote. Right. If you edit or revise an AI-generated script, you are now the credited You're writer. You're the writer. Right. Yep. Um, so that was that was the other thing. Um, WGA didn't love it. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, uh, they, so the, the counterproposal got leaked and then AMT, AP, AMPTP came out and said, here's the counterproposal. We didn't want to share this yet because we're still talking it over with the WGA, but here it is. And then the WGA issued a statement being like, this offer sucks. This mm -hmm. is baloney. So that's where we're at. And there's really, and that, again, that the last time they talked about that was August 11th. They've had meetings since then, but that's still the proposal that's on the table. I love that the AMT, a, <laughs> darn it, AMPTP, are the ones who leaked that they were called out. They, they said, Oh yeah, it yes. had to come from us. Right. Um, because they want the people who are most affected by it, who are, who are the live paycheck to paycheck, who do, um, they're not the, the millionaires that you see. They're not Tina Fey writing for a television show, right? Yeah. They're not producer, writer and actor in the show. The people who are normal, you know, uh, they wanted them to see it, but even them seeing it, still part of the union is not a significant enough 
uh, counter offer for it to yeah. make it worth it. So they were like, <laughs> look at what your the people at the top of your organization did. And I'm sure there's been no pushback from that. None, yeah. none whatsoever. Just like absolute quiet, like, yeah, no, that's terrible. It's a terrible deal. It's a bad deal. <laughs> Give me more. You know, when we we hear about Jesse Pinkman uh, not getting his residuals for Breaking Bad from Aaron Netflix, Paul, yes. he's got nothing. I mean, that's a big issue. When you know that that's like one of the most watched shows ever. Yes. Yeah. Why don't we as the people who pay for Netflix kind of get an idea of what the, that data is? That'd be kind of nice. Yeah. I, well, that's all part of it. Yeah. You know, with these streaming services, I think that's the part that I think is one of the reasons that this is dragging out so long is that the studios don't want the Wild West to go away. Yeah. They like the Wild West. They they like it there. They can shoot their guns and 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 punch women and do all the things that you can do in the Wild West, you yeah. know, because they can tell their shareholders, we've got X number of subscribers and we've had this many millions of hours streamed. But there's no industry standard right. on that stuff. And like, you know, you know, like Nielsen, one of these one of these companies that collects data on these sorts of things, like Disney Plus doesn't share data with Nielsen. Right. So there's a lot of like, there's no industry standard and they like it that way because in my opinion, they can manipulate it for their shareholders. Right. Because and, lie, and lie to their shareholders and say, look how great we're doing. And in fact, it would actually benefit them if they would actually share that data because you could have accidental clicks. Yeah. Because that's the thing, obviously. Abandonment rate. Did they abandon the show or TV within 10, 15, half an hour, 75% through whatever? Did they watch the whole thing? Um those right. are those are points where you could say, great, if they abandon it, you get less money for that particular episode. Yep. Right? So it's it actually would work in their favor you would think. if they would share this data versus uh, just vaulting it and, and just keeping it away from everyone. But I think my tinfoil hat theory on all of this is that all of these streaming services, and this isn't like new news, they're money pits. Mm-hmm. They don't make money. Yeah. They burn money at an alarming rate. Mm-hmm. And... I think that because they are emerging technologies and there's maybe not as much like gap accounting principles, regulations on these types of things, they are able to bucket how much money is being burned by these things and allocate it to other things so that it looks like they are profitable when they're not. And we know this because we know that the guys who are struggling are struggling hard. Mm -hmm. Like, Peacock losing a billion dollars. Right. You know, uh, Paramount Plus bleeding money. And so um, I think it's very much the same for like a Disney Plus. Like I don't think Disney Plus generates profit. Right. I think it generates revenue and I think that it bleeds money Mm -hmm. hard. And I think that that is part of the reason they're willing to let this drag out because they don't want the lid to be blown off their op. (laughs) Yeah, they want it. They want to continue to operate in the shadows. The other thing is, um, like you, I think everybody saw the report that um, David Zasloff, who's the the CEO of Warner, said we're going to lose three hundred to five hundred million dollars due to this strike. Now, why would a CEO be okay with that? Like when you have to report earnings, you're a publicly traded company. Mm-hmm. I think because he's got something to blame it on. Yeah, and they were going to lose that money anyway. <laughs> you know, and like I think like with Max, they're just hemorrhaging cash. And if he can point to it and be like, well, you know, they're striking, dude. Yeah. What are we going to do? Like, 
it is like I think they like this. I think they like the cover because, uh, and that sucks because it it, me, it means that the WGA and SAG after have very little leverage, right? And, and those are real people who are not working, right? You know, they have, they have no money. Right. Um, they have no money coming in, and that's that's really tough for those people. A lot of those people were already paycheck to paycheck, and now they're like waiting tables. You right. know what I mean? And like then, that's, and then that what sucks. does that do to the, to the economies that, that they're based in, you know, mostly oh, LA, brutal. right. And yeah, New, yeah. And New Br- York, LA and New York, right. Like that's going to be, there's going to be some, some interesting economic financial reports that come out of this. Absolutely. As well. Absolutely. I mean, this is, this is real. Um, so yeah, I think this is tough, man. Mm-hmm. I, I like, I, I'm having trouble, you know, usually you can look at these situations and say, okay, who has the leverage here? And who will ultimately give out? And uh, it's bleak, man, because I feel like I feel like the studios have all the leverage. Yeah, and they they got time, and 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 they feel like they have to win this AI battle. They do because they feel like this is happening, and um, we we you know we cannot give on AI. I got to find her handle. There's a girl on TikTok, a creator on, on TikTok, where she actually is doing, <laughs> she's feeding a, a, a basic story plot into AI every day and says, write me a script. And it's terrible every time. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. generic stuff, yeah. like like meet cutes at a cafe and uh, running into each other while running in a park. <laughs> They're just incredibly terrible. Yeah. Uh, including things like long stare, long stare, <laughs> long stare. <laughs> I will find her because she's fantastic. Uh, but it, the AI thing has to be shut down. It, it just can't because the, the artist integrity is completely squashed, destroyed from it. I mean, I would say if you if you would want to use it, use it like a thesaurus, honestly. Like it, it cannot be the base product of a script. Any writer can decide if they want to use AI for their script yeah. themselves. But it cannot be, hey, we're a studio. We don't want to pay a writer. Let's just put this out there, which is not copyrighted, which then completely can just be stolen, revised, and pushed out better from a real writer. So I don't see how that, again, it doesn't benefit the studio. It actually hurts the studio. Absolutely. And I think part of the responsibility with AI that will will be the case, and I'm not just talking about film, but in general. Mm-hmm. We, as consumers, because that's all we are to these people, right. you know, in general, that's just in you know, and I'm I'm not anti-capitalist or anything like that. Anybody who knows me will tell you that. In a capitalist society, we are consumers to to all these corporations, and as consumers, we have to say no to AI. Right. We have to. Like, we have to say no to it. I see a lot of products like like I've been watching the U.S. Open, and they have these IBM Watson X commercials that okay. come on about oh look what AI can do to your business. No, like we as a consumer, it's, we have to say no to AI. We have to say, I want something that's produced by a person. Yes. You know, the same way we, you know, same way that a lot of people are like, I want something that's made in America. We need to say, I, I want something that is written by a human, acted in by a human. I don't want any AI extras. I don't want any of that. We have to choose. We have to vote with our dollars against it. We have to fight it because it's an existential threat to us all. And there's so much greed that people won't realize that like if people aren't working, there are no consumers because none of us have dollars. Right. And instead they'll just destroy all these industries with AI first before they figure that out. So we have to, as consumers say, no, we, we we're resisting AI. We don't want it. 
and we gotta we gotta link arms and fight it, man. Right, and it's exploded. Like when when Chat GPT Chat GPT man. debuted. Now there's like Skynet for Skynet indeed, man. Terminator Two, Judgment Day, <laughs> James Cameron. It's his fault. Um, have you, have you, it all comes back to Jimbo. And have every you seen time him? he's always coy in his interviews. Now he's like, well, I told you. Yeah. Oh, I know. He's like, I've been warning you, dude. He is insufferable <laughs> that dude sucks you know <laughs> like sucks. I, I think that there's a couple people who actually have access to a time machine <laughs> i think it's james cameron and, oh absolutely and, and matt groaning the creator of the simpsons yes <laughs> because all of, all of the, the tie-ins <laughs> for the future I, I just i just can't believe and i can't i cannot believe that they can't think this through about about the a the whole ai thing oh right that they can't see like Oh, eventually this will overtake the company if we give any <laughs> room for this. That's what's crazy, man. And then it will we'll lose my $25, my $25 million salary per year. Yes. I'll lose my $700 million it's, house. It's so short-sighted. I, I I don't understand it. Like I understand like the shiny object appeal of it. Yeah. But the goal should not be to replace human beings. No. You need human beings working. Right. So you, you and you can do it in a profitable way, obviously, Mister Twenty Five Million Dollar Salary. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's crazy, and I I worry about how this will all shake out because I I if I'm just looking at on paper, it feels like the studios have the leverage, and I hate that, but I, I really too. I really do feel that way. Fight the power, fight the man. Let's go, WGA. I agree. I agree. Um, okay, so that's that's the two hot things going on right now. The other thing, man, is like pe- people are laughing this this writer strike off, but you and I know because we lived through the last one, um, and we're we're big movie and TV fans during the last one. This is gonna suck. Yes, very soon. Mm-hmm. Like we can we can all laugh and have a good time about like oh there's still all these great movies coming out this year and blah 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 like dude the the storm is coming mm-hmm. and it's gonna suck mm-hmm. and when we're all watching American Gladiators <laughs> for three straight months next year <laughs> it's gonna be terrible or what is it the uh, Love Island and oh God Bachelor Bachelor in Paradise four thousand uh, <laughs> please no seriously it's coming it's gonna be disgusting yeah it's gonna be so bad but um naked and afraid uh. <laughs> God help us um but yes on the topic of yes there are still good movies coming out this year yes um we've got venice the venice clapathon going on which <laughs> is kirk's kirk's repping um my italia shirt the standing ovation numbers are rolling in at a rapid clip yes and uh you know it's like five minutes, six minutes. I haven't seen any 10 or 11 minutes yet. Oh, I did see a 10 minute. I don't oh, remember, what was it? I don't remember who it was for, but one of these, uh, did you see, I don't know who, what, who was the director, but one of these films, the director's like, what is happening? David Fincher. David Fincher. Yes, I loved it. It's so on brand. <laughs> <laughs> they screened, uh, what's his new movie called? The Killer. The Killer with Michael Fassbender, which, dude, that movie looks so good. Yeah. Um, he got a five minute standing ovation and sat there looking confused the whole time. He's like, he's literally like his mouth is moving. He's like, what is this? And I love it because, because the Venice Film Festival Clapathon is one of the stupidest things that exists. <laughs> it's like, if you hate <laughs> having happy birthday sung to you, just wait <laughs> till the <laughs> Venice Film Awards. We're going to clap you to death. And you're going to stand there awkwardly. Yes. You know, and like, if you're an actor in the movie, you're going to kind of like half heartedly. 
clap because it's awkward. It's yes. horrible. It's 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 the worst. You're going to shake hands with the six direct people around you, right? <laughs> and then that's it. And then you're just clapping and clapping limbo. Oh, it's terrible. And everybody's presumably making eyes at each other, you know, <laughs> so that the clap Illuminati can determine when enough is enough. And then want- somebody's like... <laughs> <laughs> I want someone I want someone to come in who's like a, a big time comedian who would have the clout to do it and no one would be alarmed like Will Ferrell and come in and say just like start screaming stop clapping stop it <laughs> yeah it's it's one of the more insane things that happens I don't even know how this came to be but like this you know we talked about it before this is the measure of of successful movies so I yeah. think like um a few films that got some pretty long claps there was the killer yes. there was uh poor things Yorgos mm-hmm. Lanthimos, uh, the Emma Stone movie um, with Mark Ruffalo, and uh, the Hitman, which is Richard Linklater, Glenn Powell, mm-hmm. um, and a few others. But this did any anything from Venice that that caught your eye? I think for me, it's Poor Things, which is that movie screams, "I'm going to love it. You're going to despise it." <laughs> it does. Is that I, fair? I'm, I'm, Absolutely going to hate it. Um, Kirk is going to hate that movie. Director Yorgos Lanthimos. Yorgos Lanthimos. Director of The Favorite, yeah. which was not my favorite. I'll no. tell you what. Uh, <laughs> I, I love it. I just uh, I just can't get behind it. It's just, it's just so weird. Um, and I'm fine with weird movies. It's just not my style. Not my style. Here's a movie that you're going to absolutely love. Okay. Ferrari. Really? Right? Don't you think? I could. Michael Mann. I do. I, I do. Well, you like heat, some. right? Or no? I love heat. Yeah, I'm interested in. How do you feel about the last of the Mohicans? Oh, I've never seen it. What? <laughs> I know, dude. That's essential cinema. I know. That's maybe that's what I'm doing. Judging you for bedtime right judging. now. Judging. <laughs> I'm interested in Finalmente. Oh yeah, Lalba. Maybe something like that. I'm a big fan of Lily James. I think she's mm. fantastic, mm, and she is. She's been off her off her um, rhythm recently in, in recent um, performances. Yes, and Priscilla. And I know you're, I know you're all in on that. I'm all in on Priscilla. Yeah. Um, those two have got my eye just because of just the story. I I think those are very interesting stories and some, some pretty powerhouse, uh, directors and actors in them. So I'm excited for those two out of, out of them all. But really I I am looking forward to Maestro. That one seems to be maybe at the top of my list. Have they aired it there yet? I don't think they have. I don't think they have. Yeah. I really think that that is going to sweep there at the the festival. Hmm. So you think it'll be a big Oscars player? I do think it will be. Interesting. I do think it will be. I'm excited. I think it'll be good. Um, there's a lot of good movies coming down the pike still this year. I think it's been kind of a lackluster year for film, but I'm I'm encouraged by mm. the remaining slate. Yes. It, we're about to get hit with some very good stuff as long as nothing gets delayed. Well, Dune 2 is a, is a blow. I mean, we haven't talked about it on the podcast yet because it hasn't happened, but that sucks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, that's writer's strike related it is i think um well because it's writer strike and sag after because they as actors and writers they cannot be out there promoting the work yeah and therefore they know that if you don't have big stars going out and doing publicity for it yeah no one's gonna see it no one's gonna know about it yeah that sucks um a shout out to the marvels which will now get imax screens <laughs> congratulations <laughs> nice job marvel studios you, na- you nailed some imax screens but yeah it sucks that dune I mean, that would have been a big contender in a lot of the same categories that I think Oppenheimer will contend in, in terms of like visual effects, sound mixing, all the sci-fi type awards. Right. Um, so 
kudos to Oppenheimer, I guess, for its future Oscar wins. For, for sweeping, <laughs> sweeping the Academy all the Awards. Te- all the technical award categories will now go to Oppenheimer. <laughs> Though, I mean, frankly, they, they might have already Dune notwithstanding. So Right. So uh, actually gives Dune some breathing room next year. Yeah. And I, I think that was part of it, too. I think the Dune... Um, Possibly was like, well, you know, in a year like this, do we really want to release in the same weekend as a Marvel film? Do we really want to like, I don't know, maybe they were looking at the board and they just didn't love it. Right. So, because you got to remember Dune, the first Dune, while I think it was viewed by a decent amount of people, it released on HBO Max and in theaters at the same time. And so the box office, we don't really know. We don't have a good proxy for how the box office will perform. Right. For that film. And because that data is hidden from max <laughs> yeah we have slash. no idea how many people actually seen that movie right maybe maybe it did terribly i don't know <laughs> nobody knows david zasloff knows nobody else knows um so yeah that's all i got though anything else kirk that's all i got uh this has been a fantastic fun episode i'm glad we're back here we're back we're back at least for now until, until the baby wives have the baby uh so it's Stay tuned. Be, have you ever seen uh, Father of the Bride Part 2? Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, because Diane Keaton and I forget her name, but she's wonderful. The daughter in the movie, they're both pregnant at the same time. Yes. And they go into labor at the same time, and Steve Martin is running down the hall That's right. at the hospital. That's what it's going to be like. It's going to be, it's it's scary hours around here. I, it's, yeah, it feels like at any moment. So mm-hmm. bear with us. We're going to, we're going to, we're all going to get through this, but we appreciate your patience. We appreciate you watching listening however you're taking in this content we love that you're here please share your thoughts with us there's there's so much weird stuff going on right now and everybody's got opinions and i would love to hear them um kirk would love to hear them we 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 live and breathe this stuff so be sure to reach out until then of course we want to give a special thanks to our presenting sponsor st louis area smoothie kings as well as our executive producer ryan spriggs his band rhetoric that created all of our original music and all of you thank you so much for joining us and we will see you next time talk to you then